Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by Reach Life Church in Asheville, North Carolina. Our mission is changing life by making, growing, and unleashing gospel-centered disciples of Jesus. For more information, resources, or to connect with us online, visit www.reachlifechurch.org. Hey, so, uh, man, good morning. Uh, my name's Terry. I'm one of the pastors here, and we are continuing in... Actually, in the book of Exodus, uh, you guys may, uh, who have been here may have realized that we were journeying through the book of Exodus, and we got to the Ten Commandments, and we like slowed down and decided to take the Ten Commandments one at a time in a series that we've been calling the Big Ten in Exodus chapter 20. And this is, um, we, we were in a what we call a um, kind of a verse-by-verse uh, breakthrough of the, of the Bible, and then we stopped, now we're doing topical uh, studies of each of the Ten Commandments, so uh, you're going to be all over the place in your Bible today. Um, uh, it's not our normal route, but it, it, is, it is right now. So as we've seen in our series so far, kind of the heart of the matter, the, at the heart of these Ten Commandments is the matter of the heart, right? These um, outward actions that are prohibited in the Ten Commandments are always preceded by and indeed sprout from the soil of inward conditions. Outward actions sprout from the soil of inward conditions. Sort of the, the intents of our hearts are what cause us to do the things that we do. Um, as we've seen Jesus say with the sins of murder and adultery in past weeks here in the series, doing these things in our heart is where the root is. And so it's where we got to address the problem if we're going to achieve any real victory and the promise of Jesus is, in the life of, of His followers, is that real victory is achievable. Now, we really can achieve uh, victory. He is, he's the victor, right? He's the giver of victory. And so with those things in view, we're actually going to be combining two of the Ten Commandments today, the Eighth and the Tenth. We're going to be talking about do not steal, do not covet, in a message um, called be content. Be content. Essentially, those two commandments stated positively would be, be content. Uh, again, as with the other uh, texts in our series, it's going to be very short reading today, Exodus chapter 20. If you want to go ahead and flip there, you can follow along in your copy of God's Word, or you can read it from the screen. Uh, I always love to hear the, the pages ruffle, uh, so I, I like the hard copy of things. So if you have a hard copy, you can follow along there. Exodus chapter 20, we're going to read verses 15 through 20. says, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. Now you saw the ninth commandment sandwiched in there, we'll be doing that next week, but we'll be doing both stealing and coveting today. And the reason that is, is because of what I stated at the beginning, I believe, in my thinking, those two are really closely related. Stealing seems to be the outward working of an inward coveting, right? It's the result of, it's the outward manifestation of that thing. So let's, let's work that way. Let's start with the outer, just like the commandments do here, and, and work to the inner. We'll first talk about this morning the idea that God's command, do not steal. We all know what it means to steal, right? Like it means essentially taking something that does not belong to us. And we kind of know that. We're taught not to steal. Like we're prone to steal even as children, aren't we? Mine. Everything is, is mine. 
Um, and so we're taught from a young age, you don't, that's not yours. That's not yours. Don't, don't steal that from, from somebody else. But I want us to kind of peel back a layer and think more seriously about stealing this morning. Um, if we start thinking more seriously about it, we, I think we can really see um, how far ranging in scope th- this concept is and how really prone we are to it um, in, in, in true measure. So, of course, there's stealing someone's property, even if it's small, but it goes a lot further than that. Author Kevin DeYoung put it this way. It's a little bit longer quote, but follow with me. I thought it was really good. He says, the eighth commandment forbids, don't steal, forbids injustice of any kind. The Bible has a lot to say about cheating scales and false measures or any means by which you get more from a transaction than you deserve. One quickly thinks of current day accounting scandals or Ponzi schemes, especially grievous is swindling the poor. But obvious oppression, or by obvious oppression, or by exploiting a lack of education, think predatory loans, or by making false promises that hurt the people you're claiming to help, think casinos and the lottery. As Luther puts it, the Eighth Commandment is violated by, quote, a person steals not only when he robs a man's safe or his pocket, but also when he takes advantage of his neighbor at the market, in a grocery shop, butcher stall, wine and beer cellar, workshop, and in short, wherever business is transacted and money is exchanged for goods and labor. Dion continues, the Eighth Commandment is also broken when we are wasteful and lazy, slacking off at work, fudging expense reports, stealing out of the warehouse, taking money from petty cash, falsifying sign-in sheets, giving merchandise away, writing bottle return slips to yourself, All these rob our employer of his money and are offensive to God. Well, so there are lots of ways that we may take material goods from others. But of course, it's not only material goods that we can steal, is it? Uh, For example, we can steal the affection of another person's spouse. Maybe you're not even interested in an affair, you know, for the sake of an affair, you just like the attention. We steal a person's trust. Isn't this what deceit is? It's stealing a person's trust. In the traditional Hebrew, there's actually seven types of thieves. And in the, the Hebrew term for deceiving someone literally means stealing another person's mind. An example might be of tricking people into buying something. You know, like if you're a real estate agent and you know kind of this little thing's wrong with the house, but you... Don't really mention that because you want the sale. Another example would be um, of deceiving another person. It's like trying to flatter them with insincere words of love or affection, maybe to obtain sort, some sort of status or favor with them or some sort of material gain or sexual favors from them. In that case, um, you've stolen from the person knowledge about your true intentions, right? That's the Hebrew idea. You're stealing another person's mind. We can also steal another person's joy and self-worth. We can insult them, you know, uh, making them feel less than so that we feel better about ourselves. We steal their self-joy, their self-worth and joy. In a few weeks, our text will take us to a discussion of slavery, where we will look at stealing human lives to force them into labor and/or trafficking. Now, 
in here, and, and if you're watching online or listening online, you may be quick to say, well, I, I don't steal human beings. Um, but do we steal away or deny another person's dignity by consuming things like pornography and thus support and feed the evil empires of trafficking and slavery? You realize that today there are more slaves by number and by higher percentage than in any time in human history? And what I just mentioned is why. That's why. And we seek to get our will, uh, even when we know it's against God's will, we're trying to steal God's authority in our lives. When we bask in our own glory and seek to take all the credit rather than taking the opportunity of eyes being on ourselves to then point those eyes to the Lord, we are seeking to steal God's glory. There are simply no self-made individuals. You know, it's like I, I mentioned in a sermon a few weeks ago, I guess a couple months ago now, we're all like turtles on a fence post. None of us got there by ourselves, right? There's no way that we get there by ourselves. God gives the opportunities. God gives the means. God gives the results, right? We are dependent upon Him. And when we look to glorify ourselves, when we're, you know, a little shine is on us, a little spotlight is on us, whether we realize it or not, we're seeking to steal God's glory. So clearly, as a people, we're a lot more prone to stealing than we may have realized. That's why I went through those things, right? And, I, and, and honestly, I could have listed a lot more, right? Um, but my toes get uncomfortable, right? So I'm stepping on my own toes. Um, if we take a look at what stealing really is, man, it, it's a far-reaching thing, and we've got to admit that we are quite prone to it. But those are the outward actions, aren't they? Those are bad enough, uh, but as I said, we've got to get to the heart of the matter uh, because the fruit of our stealing is actually fertilized in the soil of coveting, right? So let's peel back another layer here. Let's take a look at um, the next commandment that in, our, in the order we're going to take it, and that's the 10th commandment, do not covet. This word covet means to desire something strongly, to long for it, to lust after or sigh after something that does not belong to you, that hasn't been given for you. And we, we live in an age where really we can, we are bombarded with the temptation to covet on more fronts than in, in any other time, I think. And I think it's like social media and the internet. And there's so much exposure to, um, you know, fake, perfect lives and plastic images of what love should be and how our bodies should look and the things that we should... You know, there's, there's every possible opportunity to FOMO on something. It's just, it's around, coveting's around literally every corner. And, and, and coveting is the soil for lots of, of other sins. Um, but again, coveting is the soil in which sins may grow right? That the fruit would be stealing, the soil would be coveting, but coveting is actually not the seed of the sin. If we dig a little deeper into our hearts, we peel back yet another layer, we see that the seed of the commandments that we're looking at today of stealing and coveting, what's underneath them, what's underneath coveting is actually breaking the first commandment. The seed of those things is having other gods. The seed of stealing and coveting 
is idolatry. The seed of stealing and coveting is idolatry. Remember, I mean, think about it way back in uh, the book of Genesis. The serpent didn't uh, tell Adam and Eve to steal. Yes, he, they, they, I mean, they stole from the tree that wasn't given to them to eat, but what was um, that their, their stealing of the fruit was only kind of the bitter fruit of the seed of them wanting to replace God with themselves. It was an idolatry. The seed was idolatry. So you can see it coming up on the screen. Kind of think of down at the bottom is the seed. I'm, I have in my heart a desire to replace God with myself. I swim around things that would have me covet. I covet, therefore I steal. Things like the affection of another person's spouse or God's glory or God's authority in my life. There's a great resource uh, that we as a church use called the Gospel-Centered Life. Man, if you've ever been through that with us in leadership meeting or in discipleship uh, format, you know it's a really powerful thing. Um, and by the way, if, you, if you're interested after reading this quote uh, or going through something that will really change your life, you'd like to look at the Gospel-Centered Life, let me or Pastor James know. But there's a quote uh, from it that I want us to read. It puts it this way, this idea of the seed. It says, you see, our surface sins are only symptoms of a deeper problem. Underneath every external sin is a heart idol, a false god that has eclipsed the true god in our thoughts or affections. To paraphrase Martin Luther, every sin is in some way a breaking of the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. Luther wrote, as the first commandment is the very first, highest, and best from which all the others proceed, so also its work, what it produces, that is, faith or confidence in God's favor at all times, is the very first, highest, and best from which all other works must proceed, exist, remain, be directed, and measured. In other words, keeping God primary, right? Jesus is the center of it all. We just sang about it. Keeping God primary is foundational to spiritual growth. The key to gospel-driven transformation is learning to repent of the sin beneath the sin, the deeply rooted idolatry and unbelief that drive our more visible sins. Man, that is powerful stuff if we can get a hold of it. And we, that, that's where freedom comes in. When God delivers us from our heart, our heart idols, we can truly be free. Look, uh, look at Colossians chapter 3. 1 through 5 coming up on the screen. It says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth, for you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. The Apostle Paul is telling us what is at the heart of the matter, isn't he? He's getting us to it here. And I want you to notice something. The realization that coveting is idolatry, as you maybe are seeing it here this morning, can be a tough pill to swallow. It's, kind of, it's an uncomfortable Thing, but coming to grips with that reality is actually a wonderful thing because as we understand it, as we come to grips with that, at the same time, 
we are beginning to understand that this passage and what we've covered this morning actually shows us the cure for coveting. You may not have realized it or not, um, but we've already discovered this morning the cure. Follow the math with me as we've laid it out. One fruit of coveting is stealing. Coveting is desiring something that is not ours. The seed of coveting is idolatry because it puts something or someone in a place of higher importance than God in our lives. So, therefore, equals to be free from coveting, we need to be free from idolatry. Well, what do we do to be free from idolatry? It's very simple. It's not simplistic. It's hard to do, but it's very simple. We flee idolatry by returning to the Lord. Again, it sounds simple, but if it was easy, we'd be doing it more often, wouldn't we? <laughs> Why are we so slow to return to the Lord. It may be because we, we enjoy our idols, uh, but that's not where freedom is, uh, right? So the key to conquering coveting is shifting our focus from those things and back to the Lord. One author I read put it this way, and for the life of me, I, I apologize, I cannot find where I got this quote, <laughs> uh, but it was, it was, I think it's good, so I wanted to include it anyway. It says, um, when our flesh rises up, and attempts to draw us into things, we put them to death as we set our hearts and focus on the things above. I want you to listen to this next phrase really closely. Resisting alone becomes an effort of the flesh to resist the flesh. I'm going to repeat that. Resisting alone, that is just trying not to do something without turning our focus to the Lord, resisting alone becomes an effort of the flesh to resist the flesh. It's impossible. Right? You're trying in your own power to, do, to overcome your own power. <laughs> right? We need the Savior, you guys. Right? So we must turn our hearts and minds toward Him. He says, this has very, uh, seeking to overcome the flesh by the flesh, this has very limited success or no success. We first must set our minds on the things above, and as Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If your heart is in the world, your focus will be on the world, and you will covet the things that God has not given you. Rather than focusing on what we want in this life, strive to set your heart and minds on the things above where true wealth is stored up for those who are faithful. Again, man, that's powerful. If we can get a hold of that, um, we can see that when we allow the Lord um, to make Himself the treasure of our hearts, then we're safe from coveting. Um, again, I told you it would be all over the Scriptures, but Psalm 37, we'll refer to the Psalms a lot today, say, delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Now let me pause. This does not mean that if you love God, He'll make you rich or give you all the stuff that you're coveting, <laughs> right? That is not... How it works. God doesn't, God loves us enough to not give us the stuff that we're coveting, doesn't he? Um, you know, I say that I wanted to pause and say that because there are preachers out there who are telling us uh, things like, man, proclaim wealth in Jesus' name and you'll have it. Or even if you live a clean life, God will give you your dreams, stuff like that. It's leading the church astray. Um, how do I know? Well, lots of reasons, but the Bible itself is really plain about how God thinks about preachers like that. 1 Timothy 6, if you want to write it down, 5 through 8. Let's read it. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words 
or um, sound words of our Lord Jesus. And the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, coveting, right? Dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and depraved of the truth. Listen, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. But godliness with contentment, hence our our title today, is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. Again, the Bible warns us that that kind of doctrine teaching that is truly teaching that godliness is a means of gain. God wants us to run from that stuff, right? It leads to death. It leads to strife and, and all, all sorts of things. Remember Psalm 37, delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. In other words, it's if you love God, if you delight Him, delight in Him, He will give you that which you delight in. Think about that. Delight in the Lord and He will give you Himself and you will be satisfied, right? Um, there's great news on a practical level. That same Lord in whom we delight has promised that He will He will actually also meet our needs, right? Like it's not. It would be enough for God to give him, give us Himself. What more could we want? But He says, "I'll, I'll give you Myself, and I'll meet your needs." It's incredible. Uh, Hebrews thirteen. Keep your life free from the love of money, and be content with what you have. For He has said, "I will never leave you." and never forsake you, right? Uh, we may feel like, we're God, I need this thing. If I'm truthful, I'm coveting this thing. <laughs> Where are you? Won't you give it to me? God says, I'm giving you myself. He will never leave. He will ne- I think it's really intentional that the Bible first warns us um, to, to kind of um, flee the love of money and at the same time promises that God will never leave us. It's, a, it's addressing our, our heart desires, isn't it? What, what is it that we're desiring? Desiring. So, why do we? Uh, why do people covet and envy? Sorry to say, we. Let's talk. Put a finer point on it. Why do we <laughs> covet and envy? Why are we concerned with what our neighbor has? Why are we bothered by when someone else uh, by it when someone else receives honor or a position that's higher than ours in society? I think it's a lack of faith in the Lord that causes us to do those things. When we covet, you know, I, I can be tempted to covet someone else's health. Lord, I'm following you. Why, why, why do I struggle so much physically and in my brain? Uh, and that person's just doing great, and, and they're big old sinners, right? Well, that's out of my lack of faith um, that causes me to do those things. If we trust the Lord, then we also trust Him to exalt us as He sees fit, put us in a place of prominence, and we'll trust Him when He chooses to leave us in a low position. And we'll even trust Him when He chooses to take us from a higher position and put us in a lower one. We'll trust Him with that. If we feel the need to exalt ourselves or push ourselves to prominence, it reveals that we're not trusting the Lord. 
If we're resentful when somebody else receives prominence, it reveals that we're not trusting to the Lord. We have fallen into covetousness. So think, think this through with me, man. Um, I was talking with someone at the uh, retreat this weekend. I said, if, if we truly believe that we're following God's moral will, right, living according to His character and goodness, and we are using our giftings in honor of Him, then we're in God's will. We should know that God is directing our steps. If we truly know that, then we'll be content wherever He places us. I'm not saying it's wrong to want to better yourselves or achieve uh, progress at your career. Those are great things. But the question is, have they, have they become little g-gods, idols in our hearts? Um, do we, a, a, good, a good test is, do we trust God if we don't get that thing? Do we trust God in a position that's lower? When people don't look at us as highly as we would like for them to look at us or think they should look at us, do we trust the Lord? Do we feel like God has abandoned us? Well, we just read, He, he never leaves or forsakes, right? We, we can know that. Um, again, the, the truth of the matter, in, in terms of the stuff I'm just talking about, God, um, not, not only does God necessarily reward us with status, He is not asking status from, of us. Not asking us to achieve a certain status. You know what God is asking us to do? Be faithful. The end. What's God's will for my life? Be faithful. The end. <laughs> right, right. That is... If you, you ever wonder, like, God, what would you have me do? Don't shake the magic eight ball. Don't, you know, whatever. Be faithful. Trust the Lord. That sounds easy again, but it is not. It's simple, but it's not easy. If it were, if it were simple, we'd all be doing it all the time, right? Again, when we don't do it, it's not a lack of God. It's on our part. We're looking to other things, not to the Lord. So, uh, God wants to show us that there truly is a more excellent way. We really can rejoice with others when they're exalted. We really can weep with people when they weep. Because we, in our hearts, can trust the Lord, right? Um, so, well, we should set our hearts to stand secure on those things. I just want to read Psalm 36 for you. How precious is your steadfast love, O God. The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house, and you give them drink from the river of your delights. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light do we see light. So if we covet or steal, it's because we're looking to something else to bring us happiness, not to the Lord, because He's, he's the source of delight, right? The source of joy. I want to i uh, t- uh, tell you about a thing called don't eat yellow paint. You, that may not be the phrase you thought I was going to say. Uh, don't eat yellow paint is a, there's this uh, sort of legend that uh, it may be true, may, may not be true about Vincent van Gogh. And he's famous for this, this yellow color in his paintings. Uh, that's the sower there. That's my all time favorite painting. And, um, the, the legend goes that Vincent van Gogh, we, we know that he had you know, mental health issues and, and lot, lots of things, but, um, but he saw so much joy in that yellow color 
And he wanted joy in his heart, inside him. So he began to eat his pain. Searching to get joy into himself. He was seeking to get joy from something that could not possibly bring him joy. I, 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 this morning, I added a little, added a little thing uh, to the message. There's a song, I encourage you all to look it up, uh, by Dustin Kinshrew. And he, the song is kind of um, revealing the heart of Solomon, who um, sought all sorts of things to bring him joy. I was going to read the lyrics to you. It said, though all the wealth of men was mine to squander. And this won't be on the screen. I didn't get it to Georgia. Sorry, Georgia. Uh, though all the wealth of men was mine to squander, and towers of ivory rose beneath my feet. Were palaces of pleasure mine to wander, the sum of it would leave me incomplete. Though every soul would hold my name in honor and truest love was always by my side. My praises sung by grateful sons and daughters. My soul would never be satisfied. It's not enough. It's not enough. I could walk the world forever till my shoes were filled with blood. It's not enough. It's not enough. Though I could live for all to lift them higher or spend the century seeking light within, though I indulge my every dark desire, exhausting every avenue of sin, it's not enough. It's not enough. I could walk the world forever till my shoes were filled with blood. It's not enough. It's not enough. I could right all wrongs or ravage everything beneath the sun. It's not enough to make me whole. It's not enough. It never was. Awake my soul. It's not enough. It never was. It's not enough. I could walk the world forever till my shoes were filled with blood. It's not enough. I could right all wrongs or ravage everything beneath the sun. It's not enough. Though all would bow to me till I could drink my fill of fear and love. It's not enough. It's not enough. Why do we look for things to give us joy? Only God satisfies. Nothing will give us greater, more lasting, real satisfaction, joy than God Himself. And as He gives us Himself, we will see the fruit of this joy in our lives via His Spirit. Don't eat yellow paint. Don't seek after things that cannot give us joy. A better mindset would be in Psalm 119. Lead me in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. Confirm to your servant your promise that you may be feared. Again, we're surrounded by things that would tempt us to look elsewhere, man. But David is encouraging us. Uh, we don't have to be a slave to our desires. We don't have to miss God's presence, God's true provision in our lives. Uh, again, I, I, want, I want to read another passage to you. 
uh, a reminder of 1 Timothy 6 that we read. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. Let's continue. But if we have food and clothing, with these we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Again, Scripture is not teaching that it's wrong to have things, but it's wrong for those things to have you. Um, again, I believe that God really does bless some people with wealth. This may be shocking to you, but I also believe that God allows um, and sometimes even places us into poverty. You realize that? The Bible does not promise that everybody's going to be wealthy. It does not. Um, even if they follow sound financial principles and invest well and work hard and even put God first, what God promises that He will supply our needs and that He will give us Himself. But we covet, we go into heavy debt, and then expect God to provide a miraculous way for, for us to get out of the debt that we've incurred through coveting, um, all because we don't turn to Him. Again, it's not wrong to have things per se, but the question is, how do you want it? At what cost do you want? Fill in the blank. Are you willing to pay the price of relationships with your friends? Are you willing to pay the price of your family, time with them? Are you willing to pay the price of your relationship with God for the things that you covet? I say you, but I'm preaching to me too. Uh, if we do, if we're willing to sacrifice those things, if we're willing to pay that price, we are slaves to what we covet. But we do it, don't we? We do it. Why is the question. Why? Well, we have part idols. The Apostle Paul wrote this while in prison, Philippians 4. Why, well, again, prison chains. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I'm in to be content. Question this morning for all of us, are you content? Am I content? Well, I want to I close by giving some just real brief, practical ways that we can, we can achieve victory here. I say, turn to the Lord. Yeah, okay, great. How do I do that, right? Well, let's, let's take, just take a, a, few, a few moments and, and look at some things. Uh, these are uh, practices to resist covetousness or, or envy. First is remember the presence of God. Stop, think, remember the Lord's presence. If, you grew, if you're my age and you grew up in school, you may remember the old stop, drop, and roll, right? If, if, if the house is on fire, stop, drop, and roll. I was scared to death of my house always being on fire when I was a kid. Always, tornadoes, you had tornado drills. I was afraid of quicksand. I was get, I mean... Well, here's one that really applies when, when, when your life is a dumpster fire, man, because you're, you're coveting. Well, stop, think, remember the presence of the Lord. Um, all the other categories I'm going to list fall under this one, okay? Um, even if we do the others and we don't practice God's presence or remember His presence, we're not going to make progress. Once we've done that, we want to flee temptation. Flee. Um, again, the passage we just read says that, that covetousness makes us um, pierce ourselves through with many pangs, right? We fall into temptation. We, uh, 
plunge people into ruin and destruction, that sort of thing. Um, well, let, let, let's flee from, from that. Do we understand the concept of flee? You ever seen a Godzilla movie? Right? Godzilla's coming down the street. What do people do? They flee, right? Like their hair's on fire, right? And we should. That's what fleeing means. And this is the message of the gospel. We flee the things that destroy our soul. Let's, I'm going to make some practical examples up under this. Maybe you need to flee from temptation by removing your access to temptation, right? I talked about earlier, uh, we can covet the affection of someone else's spouse. Do you covet someone who's not your wife? Well, maybe cut off your access to pornography. Stop feeding the beast, right? Maybe it needs to be something drastic in modern Western terms, right? Like sharing your browser history with somebody that will hold you accountable. Maybe share your browser history with your spouse. Or you can cut off private use of internet altogether. It would be, it would be worth it to not worship an idol. Um, maybe you're coveting other people's possessions and status. Kelly and I uh, confessed to one another that we, we got into, into that. Man, we were watching too much HGTV. Listen, it's a real, we were FOMOing all over the place, right? Like, we're missing out on everything this person's doing. Look at, look at that color on that wall, you know? But we were coveting, man. And we had to stop watching HGTV, as silly as that sounds. Um, it became an idol to us, man. We weren't content without it. Um, maybe uh, take an extended break from Facebook groups where you can find those great deals on the things that you covet, <laughs> right? Um, covet for less, you know? Um, maybe it's worth it to take, to take that break. Uh, I can go on, uh, but the next, uh, practice gratitude, man. It's really difficult to practice a heart of genuine recognition of remembering not only God's presence, but also His provision in your life, and then feel like at the same time I'm discontent because He's not meeting my needs, right? If we remember His faithfulness, man, practice gratitude. Um, man, just pause and reflect, man. He's so good. He's so good. Um, next, seek the good of others and help meet their needs. You know, we don't help others so that we feel better about ourselves. That would be, that would be self-righteous. But one of the great side benefits uh, about turning our love and affection and help to the needs of others is that we can grow a new perspective on our own blessings. I mean, truly, if you've ever, if you've ever helped somebody in need, you know that. You leave with a heart of gratitude. Uh, it's a beautiful side benefit. Uh, also, remember God's sovereignty and goodness. I touched on this a little bit earlier. Um, this is sort of a reminder of the first step, remember the Lord. But when we say in this context of God being sovereign, what we mean is He is king of all reality. He's the king, right? He has all wisdom. He has all power at His disposal. So then He is more than sufficient to meet all of our needs. And He knows what's best for us. I don't even know what's best for myself. Like truly, I don't. I know God does. And so I can be content. Um, he has the ability to work all things for my good. We've talked about this in the series. I'm going to remind us again. He has the ability and promises to work all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Right? And his, him, being, him making that promise and being sovereign means that it's not just a, an empty promise. He can and will do it. He can and will work all things for your good 
just just bow to him, submit to him. God, I'm not sovereign. I'm not even. I'm not only not all wise. I'm not. I'm not wise. <laughs> you know, I don't. I don't know a whole lot. God, I trust you. I trust you. I trust you. Uh, power, again, a powerful question would would be for us to ask ourselves: Do I believe and trust the Lord? Do I trust the Lord? I'm going to close with this passage, Psalm 84. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does He withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. Okay, so where we are this morning, wherever we are, you're in a tough season. It, I, let me say it's fine to pray that God gets you out of that season. <laughs> Jesus prayed this in the garden. Lord, if there be any other way, let this cup pass from me. So it's okay to, to pray, God, this is hard. Uh, I would love to be delivered out. But as you pray that this morning, as you pray, trust. As you pray, trust. What did Jesus say after, after he prayed that to the Father? But not your will. Or not my will, but yours be done. And aren't we glad? Aren't we glad that that was the heart of the Savior? Well, that's where freedom is for us too. That's where victory is for us too. We can be content in the Lord. Well, Pastor James and I, Pastor James and I would love to talk with you more about this. If you... Find yourself, your soul searching for contentment in life. If, even if you're a follower of Jesus and you're like, man, I, I, there's, I'm missing something. Can we talk? Yes, we can talk. Yeah. And no, no we won't judge you. <laughs> We're sinners too. But we do know the Savior. Man, we, we would be, we'd love the opportunity to point you to Him.